if you would, would you just stand and worship with us? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for this Sunday. Thank you for this church family that we get to worship you with. We're so excited to be here to worship you this morning, Jesus. We love you. Sin of the world. 
praise you, praise you, praise you, Heavenly Father. Come on, lift your hands up in the building this morning. Father, we give you all of the praise, all of the glory, for you are good, God. Your mercy towards us, your grace towards us, how could we not but worship you in this building this morning? Jesus, the name that is above every name, worthy, worthy, worthy is that name of Jesus. Praise you, praise you, Heavenly Father. Praise you, Lord. Father, we thank you for who you are, that we can come to you, that we can give you all of our cares, all of our worries, all of our fears, our doubts, but you're also with us in the victories, God. So Father, we simply rejoice, knowing that when you are on our side, no one can be against us, that whatever battle may be in front of us, you've made a way through. So Father, we praise you. We give you all of the glory. We thank you for who you are for this time together this morning, that everything that we say, that everything that we do glorifies you in your name, Jesus. Holy Spirit, move in this place today. Our hearts are open, God. Minister to each one like only you can do. We're ready to meet you here and to have your word impact us and make a difference. No longer just mediocrity. No longer mediocre Christians, but ones that chase fully after God ones that are ready and willing to be used of and by you, God, to accomplish your plans and your purposes in a lost and hurting world. Praise you, Father. Thank you that you've given us the answer, and that is the name, the name of Jesus. The name that is bigger, the name that is higher, the name that is greater. Praise you, praise you, Heavenly Father. Oh, we love you, Lord. We're so grateful for this church, for this family, for these people. Thank you that you continue to lead and guide every single day of our lives, every single step, God. We purpose to listen to you, to follow after you, and to know your word that leads us and guides us. Praise you, praise you, praise you, Heavenly Father. Oh, that precious name of Jesus. Praise you, Heavenly Father. The name of Jesus is greater, greater, greater. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. Amen. 
Come on, whatever you're going through, the name of Jesus, hallelujah. The name of Jesus is bigger, it is greater. It's your answer, amen. Would you give the Lord a shout in the place this morning? Praise you, praise you, praise you, Heavenly Father. He is good, he is worthy, amen. Well, family, why don't you turn and greet somebody that's next to you. Hug the neck of the person next to you. Let them know you're glad they're here this morning. We'll go ahead and dismiss the kids. We're going to keep the youth in here for the camp video. Praise you, Lord. It's good to see all of your smiling faces this morning. Isn't it good to be in church? It's a beautiful day outside. This is the day the Lord has made. So I will, come on, say it again. I will and be glad. Come on. A life in Christ is a life full of rejoicing, a life full of gladness. Come on. Starting your week off in the house of the Lord, blessed, happy, rejoicing. I love seeing your smiling faces. We are so glad that you are here today. Uh, if you're watching us online, we want to welcome you as well. It's great to have you as part of our church family. If you're ever in the area or you're just home enjoying your coffee this morning, we have coffee here too. So come be with us next week. We'd love to have you here. Um, we do have connect cards. If you have any prayer requests or it's your first time visiting in the seat backs in front of you, there's connect cards. You can fill those out. Let us know what's going on with you or just simply you just want to say hi, Pastor Chip. You can write one of those. I'll see it and I'll give you a call and say hi as well. Uh, but anything that you may need to contact us by, it's right there on that card. You can let us know. If you're just looking to grow spiritually, if you're looking for prayer requests, and if you just want me to email you and say hi, that is okay too. So go ahead and fill those out. You can drop those in the offering buckets as they come by. Uh, we just got back from youth camp the other week. I mentioned it real quick, uh, but we have uh, some pe really cool people on staff. Everybody, this is Ryan Tilo. So how Ryan. Ryan does a little bit of everything around here for us, and he helped us put together a camp video that we want to show you guys right now.
We had a great time uh, up at camp. It was a good time to get away. Uh, I know it looks like we have a lot of fun, but I promise you we spent a lot of time in God's Word as well. Uh, your kids get blessed uh, to go have a good time, but they get blessed in the Word so they can come back stronger, ready to face all of their friends as they go back to school. But I want to keep you guys informed. Uh, if you have a youth or a young adult, make sure that you email me so I have your contact information. We have a bunch of events planned for the rest of the summer uh, that'll be coming out as well. Uh, we want to make you aware that we have a kids camp this week. It's Wednesday, July 12th through Thursday, July 13th. It's an overnighter here at the church for ages 7th through 8th grade. Uh, they'll be sleeping at the church. We'll have a pool party. There's a sign-up back at the kids' uh, entry table over there. So if you need more information, please let us know about that that. And then last thing on the agenda for today is our 55 plus group is headed to the food court today after church. Uh, if you are interested in that, uh, you can see Joe and Star Savage or just go to the food court and see all of the smiling people that are down there and you'll know that they have the joy of the Lord and you want to be around them. So that's the food court right down here by the movie theaters and Foothill Ranch immediately after the service. Uh, we want to give you guys an opportunity to give this morning. Uh, these gentlemen in the aisles can serve you. You have offering envelopes there in the seat backs in front of you. If you need anything, you can raise your hand. There's also ways to give online. Isn't it good to be able to give? Come on, if you understand that everything that good that you have is from God, how easy it is to give back. Come on, when you, when you don't hold on to the things of this world, it's easy to give. Let's make sure that each and every day we're keeping our hearts in the right perspective, knowing that we serve God and his plans and purposes and that everything that we have is good is from him. Amen. Father, we thank you for this, for this service today. We thank you for the opportunity to give. How could we not but praise you? How could we not but trust you in every situation in our lives, including our finances, God? So take this tithe, take this offering, and do what only you can do. Send your word, your gospel, your message around the world to reach people that we've never even heard of. God, we thank you for who you are, that you continue to open the windows of heaven for us and pour out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive. God, we purpose to give it all back for your kingdom and your cause because you are the one who gave us the ability to work, the ability and the gifts and talents to earn these earthly dollars. And that's all they are, God. Just a means to communicate here on this earth, but we put it to work for your purposes and your plans. That money would have its rightful place in our lives, and that's at the very bottom. Because God, you are at the top. And you are our provider, you are our hope, you are our future. So God, how could we not but give? We give you all the praise. Thank you for the service this morning. Speak through Pastor Mike. Give him words to say and have our hearts be open and ready to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Once you've given in the offering, would you stand and worship with us one last time? Most worthy, worthy of praise, exalted.
make our confession together. This is our year of Jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. 
We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in uh, Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to talk to you about the works of Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he said unto them, But whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Folks, I want to look at certain things about this incident. Notice in verse 17, after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, notice Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. He's saying divine revelation is the reason that Peter knows who Jesus is. This is just staggering to me. Of all the things that they've seen him do, of all the works, healing works, miracles, turn the loaves and the fishes into a meal that can feed 5,000, Seeing John the Bab uh, John uh, uh, Lazarus raised from the dead, but Jesus said it was divine revelation that revealed it to, to Peter. Then he talks about the foundation of the church, which is the knowledge of Jesus being the Christ, and upon that. He calls it a rock. But again, he's talking about divine revelation. Upon this knowledge or revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he talks to him about authority. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's talking about the kingdom of God coming to pass. The kingdom whereby the will of God is done in the earth just as it is in heaven. If you notice, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's talking about the work beginning in the earth and heaven backing it up. 
Verse 20, then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. I want you to look with me to some things that Jesus said about himself. John chapter 5, after the man at the pool of Bethesda is healed, verse 17, Jesus answered them and said, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. So he's identifying the miracle healing of the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda as the works of God. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath but said also that God was his father making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, verse 19, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the father do for what things soever he doeth these also doeth the son, of, the, the son likewise. Get down with me to verse 30. Jesus said, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Jesus makes very distinct differences or delineations concerning who's doing the works. He says of himself, I can't do it on my own. I'm not doing these works because of who I am. I think that's difficult for most of us to accept. And it's a bit of a mystery, perhaps, how that Jesus, as the Son of God, doesn't take credit for any of the miracles that are done. He says, I can do it, nothing of myself. Now, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus emptied himself of the power and glory he had with the Father before he came to the earth. He came to the earth to be a man. If he came to the earth to be the Son of God and do signs and wonders and miracles, as a result of who he is, then that wouldn't be an example for us to follow. But if Jesus emptied himself of his heavenly power and glory and worked on the earth as a man, no more a man than you or I or anyone else, but a human being anointed of the Holy Ghost, then that's something we can emulate. That's something we can use his example to identify the will of God the Father on the earth and do the same works that he did or greater works as he said in one place that we would do.
it used to make sense to me that the disciples could just simply go. And I, I thought this is how they operated for a long time because they'd never studied it out. But it would make sense in my human thinking for Jesus, for Peter or John or any of the others to just go into a new town and tell about the works that they'd seen, the miracles that were done, and tell about Jesus being the one to do them. To add on top of that, for the disciples just to tell that the Messiah had come But that's not what Jesus did. That's not what he equipped them with. They probably understood a little bit more about Jesus differentiating between him doing the works and rather explain that our Heavenly Father is the one that's doing the works when the disciples were given authority to cast out devils and to heal the sick, they would certainly have understood to a greater degree what it was that the power Jesus had given them over sickness and disease and evil spirits. The use of that name produced results, but those results were not their results. It was not because of who they were that these things happened, but because of the authority that Jesus had given them to heal the sick and deliver those that were oppressed of the devil. Now, in John chapter 9, it identifies a situation that has been widely misunderstood, I think, in church circles. John chapter 9, verse 1, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Notice Jesus does not talk about the man's blindness being the work of God. He simply says, I must work the work, works of him that sent me. When he had thus spoken, verse 6, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, 
which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way therefore and washed and came again seeing the neighbors therefore and those which before had seen him that he was blind said, is not he that sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore they said unto him, how were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine, uh, mine eyes and said unto him, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and received sight. Now Jesus says in verse 3 that he must do the works of God and that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Well, that means the works of God were not the blindness. The work of God was the healing that took place in this man's body to open his eyes, to open the eyes of one that had never seen. Look with me to John chapter 14. This is on the night that Jesus was betrayed at the Last Supper with his disciples. John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. In the Southern Baptist Sunday School classes that I grew up in, we generally understood, or thought we did, that Jesus went away to heaven to prepare mansions or houses for us. And that when he gets all the houses finished, he'll come back for us. Now, folks, God created the earth in six days. So if Jesus is building houses in heaven, he's falling off on the job, it seems. But the, the, instructive, pair, or the instructive statement here is in verse 2, I go to prepare a place for you. The place he's going to prepare for us, or the place that he did prepare for us, was the place of redemption. He's saying that we would be in the same place as him. Joined with the Father, made righteous by his blood. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, I'll draw your attention back to what we just read in Matthew chapter 16.
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, his position with God, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, in the way you know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Now Thomas doesn't seem to be manifesting the divine knowledge that Peter did when Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember, Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my heavenly Father. But Thomas doesn't seem to have that same revelation. And remember that from that point, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus specifically told him not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. And he told them, his disciples, he told them very pointedly the things that were to happen in, in the days to come. How he must be killed and raised again on the third day. Folks, Jesus specifically taught that to his disciples. Just a matter of probably weeks before it happened. I like to think that if we were part of the disciples of the group that made up the 12, everything Jesus would have told us, especially in the end, after three and a half years, everything that he told us, especially toward the end, we would just be hanging on every word. But that's not how his disciples operated. And Thomas is not the only one. Verse 8, Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Philip, if you don't have anything else that you can trust, believe in me because of the works and the miracles that you've seen. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Notice John chapter 15.
beginning in verse 20, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not sinned. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth the father, my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no other man did, they would not have had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. One of the things that got Jesus in trouble with the religious group was when he would call himself equal with God or call God his father. That's what they interpreted that to mean. When he said God was his father, they wanted to stone him and kill him because in their estimation, he's making himself equal with God. How could somebody follow Jesus around for three and a half years and all the things that we've seen and have record of in the, in the Gospels? And even more than that, John said that if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the world wouldn't contain the books. So the account we have in the four Gospels is just a sampling of the things that Jesus did when he was here on the earth. And Jesus repeatedly said that he wasn't the one doing the works, but his father in him was the one that did the works. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 first. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now there's really no place in the Bible that Isaiah the prophet said that Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, but we know that that's in chapter 53 of Isaiah Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1, Who has believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath, no, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. 
He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, folks, these two words, sorrows and grief, are poorly translated into the English. The word sorrows literally means anguish or pain. The word griefs literally means sickness or disease. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of pain and acquainted with sickness. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, for he was despised and we esteemed him not. Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. This word death in the original is in the plural. It's not just talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual death too. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. This is that word sickness. In Young's translation, it says God has made him sick. Now, that doesn't mean that God gave him cancer any more than Jesus being made sin means that he committed sin himself. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath made him sick. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. There are a couple of other words that it would do us well to identify. In verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our sorrows or pain. The word sown, uh, the word born and carried are two Levitical terms. And they refer back to the day of atonement when the sins of Mankind were laid upon Jesus and the sickness that God made him were designed, these words were designed to be a substitutionary work. As our substitute, he carried our pains and as our substitute, he bore our sickness. Now, the reason that that's important is because if you, the substitute, which in the Day of Atonement was the lamb, if the lamb was chosen according to God's instruction and the scapegoat, 
was also chosen, then the sins and the sicknesses of mankind were placed upon those animals. The sacrificial lamb was then slaughtered and the blood was shed and poured out on top of the Ark of the Covenant on the mercy seat. But with the other animal, the scapegoat, the substitutionary work of the scapegoat was that it was taken away from the land of the living and it was most often staked out in the wilderness. Once those animals had the sins and the sickness of Israel laid upon them, then they carried those sins and sicknesses away. They did that so that you wouldn't have to. They did that. They paid the price in the Old Testament type or shadow of the cross of Jesus. That type or shadow was fulfilled when Jesus had the sins of mankind laid upon him. And the Bible tells us that the same thing was true concerning sickness and disease. That was laid on, the, on Jesus who became our scapegoat as well as the sacrificial lamb. Now go back with me to Matthew chapter 8, back to verse 16 or verse 17, really. Verse 16, again, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now there's something about this activity in verse 16, the healing of the sick, that brings Isaiah's prophecy into play. There was something about it that created the situation identified in verse 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, some have made the mistake of claiming that this means that Jesus just took away their sins. Well, if he just took away their sins, then he only took away their sickness too. Not ours, just theirs. But the, the reality is that the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy is what Matthew, by the Holy Ghost, tells us in the last phrase of verse 16. He healed all that were sick. All the sick were healed to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. 
In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, we read just a few moments ago the work of the Messiah, the substitutionary work of our Messiah. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Notice those words, our, O-U-R. He was wounded for our transgression. And he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. The fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy is the healing of everyone that comes to Jesus to receive healing, physical healing for their bodies. Now, folks, the Bible in this verse 5 of Isaiah 53, the Scripture tells us with extreme inclusivity that Jesus paid the price for sin. Well, we recognize that that price that Jesus paid, the shedding of his blood for sin, is still in effect today. And anybody that wants to take a hold of it has a right to because of Jesus' substitutionary work. But the same scripture that tells us that Jesus paid a price for iniquities and transgression tells us that he paid the same price for sickness and disease. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, the shedding of blood because of the beating that he took, with his stripes, we are healed. Now, who's we? We is the most inclusive term you could use. Because Isaiah, as being the author of this prophecy, he would certainly be included in the we. And who makes up the other part of the we? Anybody that reads the prophecy and believes it. So Jesus cast out the devil. He cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. And the healing of all is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, which says he took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And with his stripes, we are healed. Now I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only will I learn of you, 
receive you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Apparently, when Paul went into Galatia the first time, he established churches in the cities that were there. One would be the city of Philippi. Another would be the city of Laodicea. And another would be the city of Lystra. Apparently, after, and that was Paul's first missionary journey. So in his first missionary journey, he went to these cities that nobody had ever been there to preach the gospel. And he told them about Jesus. He told them about the substitutionary work that Jesus had done, that he paid the price for sin and sickness. But apparently, sometime after he had been there and, and left, Jews that still believed in the keeping of the law came in behind Paul and told the people that they had to still keep the law of Moses. But Paul preached that the work of Jesus on the cross had fulfilled the law of Moses. And so that's what he's getting on to him about, that they didn't hold fast to the things that he taught them when he was there. This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. He's asking him, how did you get saved? Did you get saved by believing in the law of Moses or keeping the law of Moses? Or did you get saved by believing in the work of Jesus and confessing him as Lord and Savior? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if they yet be in vain? He that ministereth to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The answer, of course, is in verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, folks, he's writing this to Gentiles, people that have no reason to honor Abraham or to even know who he is. It's not like they would teach him, teach about Abraham in the elementary years of school. 
Abraham was someone that had a spiritual significance. He was the one that God had chosen to make a covenant with. But who outside of that covenant would know what he did? Paul must have taught them something about Abraham. We see in Romans chapter 4, he taught them about Abraham. He taught them about Abraham and Sarah believing God for children after they were too old to have children according to the natural course of things. But Paul has taught them enough about Abraham to know that they would understand at least the things that he was speaking about at the time. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that or so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Folks, how many times have you had the devil tell you when you found some good blessing or something in the Word of God that belongs to us? How many times have we heard the devil say, yeah, that's just for the Jews? Well, the Jews include those who have made Jesus the Lord of their life, not just the physical descendants of Abraham, but the followers of Jesus. Verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but of one, and of thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Skip down with me to verse 29. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So Paul taught that the covenant blessings that are identified in Scripture that were intended for the Jews were by God's mercy made available to the Gentiles because in Christ, if we're in Christ, then we're in Abraham and heirs according to his promise. Folks, God is still in the covenant-keeping business And the blessing of Abraham will in one way or another serve as the answer to any and every problem we have in this life. If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Not if you be a Jew, 
then are you Abraham's seed. But if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What are we heirs of? Well, if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and look at the first 15 verses of the chapter, it tells us how that we'd be blessed in everything that we do. It tells us we'll be provided for. It tells us that God will be with us. It tells us God will deliver us from the curse of the law and the work of the enemy. And we would only be subject to the goodness of God. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I'm going to read just a little bit of this in Deuteronomy 28. Verse 1, and it shall, it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all of his commandments which I command thee this day that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy ground and the fruit of thy cattle, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way, and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses, and in all that thou settest thy hand unto and he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Lord shall establish thee a holy people unto himself, as he has sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, in the fruit of thy body and in the fruit of thy cattle, and in the fruit of thy ground, in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give rain unto the land in its season, and to bless all the work of thine hand, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail, and thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath if that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. And thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. Now that covers just about every part of life. The only thing that's not written in there is sickness and disease or healing and health. But there's a reason for that. The Bible says that God will bless our bread and water and take sickness from the midst of thee.
So instead of the understanding of we get sick and then we go to God for healing, God's plan is something higher than that. And that is to keep us from sickness and disease to begin with. Therefore, the blessings of keeping the law, the blessings of Abraham that belong to you and me as Gentiles because we made Jesus the Lord of our lives. Every part of our life is covered. Every part of our life is blessed. Every part of our life is identified as being under the blessing of God. Because God is good and he's only good. And through the substitutionary work of Jesus, God has made a way for us to walk according to his blessings in every respect and in every way. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We recognize that Jesus' main purpose on the earth in his earthly ministry was to reveal you to us. And we have an infallible word that tells us who you are and how good you are. to those that have chosen to be part of your family. We bless you, Father, with all of our soul. And we forget not all your benefits. You forgive all our iniquities. You heal all our disease. You redeem our life from destruction and crown us with tender mercies, loving kindness and tender mercies. You satisfy our mouth with good things and renew our youth like the eagle. Father, thank you for showing us your goodness and your kindness. We call Jesus our Lord and Savior, our righteousness. We call him our healer as well. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us as Gentiles. 
We claim that blessing, Father. We thank you that Jesus was made to be sick in our place to provide healing and mercy unto us from every part of sickness and disease. Father, your word says that for this purpose, Jesus was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil by faith in the finished work of Jesus. We command the devil take his hands off of our bodies In the name of Jesus, we call ourselves healed by the stripes that Jesus bore and the blood that he shed. Thank you, Father, for being so good to us. Say it with me. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you folks. Have a great day.